to Agronomy for Farmer Success, a podcast brought to you by Osmus Farm Supply. You work for results. That's why the Enlist Weed Control System gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. In the Osmos Farm Supply Podcast Studio today, we have our Corteva team with us. Start with Ron. Can you tell us a little bit about your position and your history with Corteva? Michelle, I'm a market development specialist with Corteva. And I started way back about 37 years ago with the company and been in the crop protection business all the way through. So what does a market development specialist do? I'm basically a support person to retail and the farmers and, and any of our seed partners on anything crop protection or agronomic information sharing that we do within our company or with with customers of ours. Next, we have Justin with us. Justin is our territory manager. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with the company? Yeah, so I don't have quite as many years under my belt as what Ron does. So he's getting a, a little bit uh, old here to my left. But uh, um, I've, I've been with Corteva slash Dowher for the last seven years. I've actually been working side by side with uh, Asmus Farm Supply here for about six years now. In northern Iowa and southern Minnesota, we are starting to wrap up our corn planting season. If farmers aren't in with beans, some of them are already already done with beans. But as we've gotten past the planting season, we have to start talking about post-herbicide management. In this podcast, we're specifically going to talk about post-herbicide management and how it relates to corn. We're going to start with Justin today with this podcast. What are some successful approaches for post-herbiciding corn that work well as a whole package. We've kind of talked about this in other podcasts is that we need to look at the package approach and a combination approach. What post applications in corn has Corteva found successful? Yeah, so I think the first thing that uh, Ron and I want to start out with here is really just talking about the conditions that we've seen out there this year. This has been a very rapid planting. Now, what I will say is that has allowed um, for whether it's a farmer applied or professional applicator applied residual products when we got cooled there in March, um, it allowed for a lot of UAN and herbicide pre-applications to be made. But when we did warm up, things happened fast. You all as farmers took to the fields like you should and got everything planted very quickly. Um, so there may be some fields, you know, maybe potentially that didn't get that pre-herbicide. I think number one, the first thing I'm going to talk about, talk about for, for you that put a pre-herbicide on, um, absolutely. That's, that's what we want to see. And basically every, every scenario, if we, if we can, is to try to have a pre-application to lead up to a post-application. We talk a lot about if you've listened to some of these other podcasts, a program approach. And that's what we want. So we want to have a foundation of a Sure Start or a Keystone LA, Keystone NXT, or maybe it is a, a Resicor um, up front as well to make sure we're starting the season off right. But then we need to start thinking about those post applications. That's where we are today. We need to consider um, how do we have a successful full season control in our cornfields. 
at Corteva, we do have quite a few products that fit that mold. Um, number one, let's go back to potentially, okay, things got planted so rapidly um, that we couldn't get our pre on for some reason. Um, the big thing there is we want to make sure that we have as much residual put out into that field as we did potentially with our um, pre plus post application. We have a lot of flexibility with our portfolio at Corteva where combining a sure start that maybe you were planning um, with your pre or a Keystone LA that you were planning with your pre and maybe combining that with a Resicor product. Um, putting the two, two together and doing a you know early post application um, could be beneficial. If we did get our pre on, coming back with products like Resicor at one and a quarter quarts, um, or coming back with Realm Q at uh, four ounces, adding glyphosate to both of those are really um, good programs that can take care of your weeds that are in that three to four inch range. Justin, you just got talk, done talking about a number of different products. And one of those products that you mentioned was Resicor. Could you inform our listeners on what the modes of action are for Resicor and how exactly does it work? Yeah, Michelle, good question. I'm glad you circled back to that so we can get a little bit more understanding of that premier post product that we have to offer at Corteva. There's three modes of action within Resicor. You've got a group 15, which is a sleeping growth inhibitor. That is going to be the acetylchlor portion or for branding purposes, that'd be surpass. That is going to be the mode of action from a residual perspective that gives you a lot of significant control on your small seed broadleaves and your grasses. Um, out in your field, small seed broadleaves that be pertaining to water hemp. Then you have a group four, which is a growth inhibitor. Um, and that's probably really what separates Resicor from a lot of other products in the marketplace. The reason for that is because Stinger, um, which is that growth regular regulator product, that group four that is within Resicor, has excellent control post-emerge on giant ragweed, as well as provides some residual on giant ragweed. And then the third component is going to be a group 27 or an HPPE inhibitor, um, which would be mesotrione. Post standpoint on small seeded broadleaves, very widely product to control water hemp and fields. What's really good about Resicor is that you've got three actives. Within those three active ingredients, all three of them provide residual control. And then you have two of them that provide knockdown control on small seeded broadleaves and large seeded broadleaves in your mesotrione and the stinger. So we've talked about Resicor here, what Resicor brings to the table. There's a few things we need to consider as far as adding to the tank when um, applying Resicor. And those two products, number one is going to be glyphosate. So whether that's our Durango product or another glyphosate brand. And the reason for that is, is there isn't any active ingredient that's in Resicor that can control emerged grass. We need to add glyphosate to the tank to be able to control any emerged grass that we have in the field. And then the other product that we consider putting in with this program would be an atrazine type product, which atrazine is known for um, giving uh, Callisto a little bit of a boost with, uh, with weed control. Atrazine is something that we can consider, and we, but we also do feel like we get a little bit of a synergistic effect with the Stinger and the Callisto in, in Resicor as well, even without having, having that uh, atrazine um, component in the tank. 
These are the components with Resicor um, that have made Resicor the uh, the number one selling form of herbicide brand in North America. Resicor, it looks like, controls a number of weeds. For the problem weeds in this area, what would Resicor take care of? The biggest problem weed, I would say, you know, and I would just leave it honestly, pretty much to two main weeds out there that are harder to control. Um, so really, we're looking at water hemp and gyrate weed, and that, those two weeds are not unfamiliar to you as farmers in this geography. So um, you guys have uh, um, battled those weeds for quite some time. But, you know, the HPPD component, um, the mesotrione component of Resicor um, is a very solid product to be able to take care of um, those uh, those small seeded water hemp um, problems in your in your fields. And um, then the stinger portion is probably where, again, where I'll say we really separate ourselves there um, with Resicor is having that stinger portion, um, that growth regulator that can really go out and do an excellent job of post-emerge control on giant ragweed. Ron, Justin mentioned Realm Q when he was talking earlier. Could you go into what the different modes of action are for that product and what weeds you would target using that product? So RUMQ contains two modes of action, uh, one being an ALS uh, inhibiting enzyme product, Rimsulfuron. used to be marketed under the name of Resolve, which gave uh, residual grass and broadleaf control and some knockdown on some of the broadleaf weeds. The second being the mesotrium, the, the one same active as what we have in Resicor. That gives you good knockdown on broadleaf weeds and residual on broadleaf weeds particularly strong on things like water hemp. Some of the attractiveness of Realm Q is it also has a third component, that being a built-in crop safener, which allows for more adjuvants over a wider range of conditions and over, over a bigger uh, crop that we can spray. Realm Q can be applied up to V6 stage of, of corn, which is about knee-high corn. Realm Q is also formulated as a low-rate dry formula. So you're getting a four ounce per acre use rate, usually coupled with some glyphosate and in some cases atrazine, but it has the convenience of being you know, easily hauled in the back end of a pickup truck. Resicor and Roam Q, they are one product. You know, we have talked in not only this podcast, but our podcast prior with our Cortava team about the program approach. Are there other products that you recommend using with Resicor and Realm Q as you are mixing your tanks? The program approach, remember, always starts with a good residual pre-emerge, which hopefully by the time you listen to this podcast has already been on and really hopefully been activated by the rainfall that we hope comes very, very soon. Within the same tank, Resicor and Realm Q of themselves control a lot of the weed spectrum but if it's glyphosate-tolerant corn, we want glyphosate added into that tank. That component, the glyphosate, will knock out emerged grasses, which neither Resicor nor Realm Q will do very well. Every time we use glyphosate, we want to have a water conditioning agent with the glyphosate. So that takes us to the ammonium sulfate or some other built-in water conditioner if it's built into your adjuvant system. Atrazine can always be and, and is a good additive if you still have room in your on your soils to be able to add more atrazine to that mix. And then finally, to round it all out, we would like to see a good 
adjuvant, be it a non-ionic surfactant or a crop oil concentrate, so that we can spread and stick that product to the, to the leaves of the weeds and uh, resist evaporation. It's just get better uptake. As we're thinking about our timing, though, in this part of the program, think of our timing of this post-emerge application. We want the application to be made sooner than later. Let, let me go into details there. With an earlier application, kind of think of how much spray is hitting the soil because both Resicor and Realm Q offer residual control. Residual control happens when we get chemical to the soil. If we're applying to corn that's three inches tall and weeds that are one inch tall, there's a lot of open space that gets chemical residual to the soil. We'll still kill the weeds that are there. They're small, they're easy to kill. But a lot of that extra chemical then gets into the, in, onto and into the soil with an activating rain. Fast forward two weeks, instead of three inch corn, I've got, you know, 12 inch corn, 11 inch corn, and I've got weeds that are five or six inches tall. Michelle, none of that chemicals get into the soil. Thereby, I get less residual the later I apply. Plus, we're getting warmer soils, so the weeds that aren't up yet, they come the day after you spray, as luck would have it, they get big fast because longer days, more sunlight, generally warmer temperatures, and then it's difficult, even if we do get a rainfall, to be able to take those weeds down. So spray early, err on the side of early. We're the ones that you, you know, that, that look at problem fields, and we virtually never get called to look at a problem field because it was sprayed too early. But many times get called at problems because it was sprayed too late. Always assume you were going to have the weed. Never wait to see the weed. We can't talk about spraying without talking about the weather. When we talk about weather, there is a term called the rule of 150. Could you inform our listeners about what the rule of 150 is and how it affects their spray? Some of you that are old timers like me remember us talking about the rule of 150 back in the, the, the late 80s, early 90s, back when we had things like Pinnacle and Classic and Pursuit and we had to balance the crop safety with the, with the weed control. So the rule of 150, pretty simply put, if you take the temperature in Fahrenheit and the relative humidity as a percentage and add those two numbers together, so long as the temperature is higher than the humidity at the time when you do this, if those add up to 150, you better not be spraying. So for instance, 90 degree temperatures with 60 degree or 60% relative humidity that's a recipe for a problem, either crop injury problem or lack of weed control problem. 100 degree temperatures with 50% humidity. That, that's just a recipe for disaster. When it comes to spraying, you always want to make sure that you're getting the right product and make sure that you're spraying it when the conditions are going to be effective. Ron, we talked about the rule of 150 of when not to spray. What and when are the ideal conditions to spray? Michelle, if I could have the temperatures between 75 and 85, I can have the sun shining. I can have the wind between 3 and 10 miles an hour, so the product stays put where you want it. And relative humidity that's you know, relatively high up there, 50-60%. In other words, when it's comfortable outside in a t-shirt, it's great spray weather. If it's too cold, 
I'm, you know, where you need a jacket, well, those weeds are going to be defensive. They're not going to take the chemistry in very good. Or if it's so hot that from leaving the house to getting to the sprayer, I'm sweating buckets, it's probably too hot and you're, you're prone to problems because everything is hanging wide open, including the crop, and you're going to soak up probably an exorbitant amount of product into those crops. And you may be, depending on the herbicides, but you may be putting yourself in a position where you have crop damage. We've talked about good spray conditions. We've talked about bad spray conditions, when not to spray. We've talked about what you should be using or what options are available out there for post-corn herbicide management for your field. Anything else you would like our Osmus Farm Supply podcast listeners to know about this season when it comes to post-corn herbicides? I'm going to say this season, like every season, row and go. When you can row that corn, it's time to go. Or certainly get in position to go as long as the weather is right. We don't err on spraying too early. A lot of times we err on spraying too late. So stay in contact with your Osmus Farm Supply agronomist. They're in contact with us constantly. So we can get the best recommendations, get the best performance for you to have clean and profitable production this year. I would like to thank Justin and Ron for coming into the studio today and covering this topic with us. And as always, if you have any questions or concerns on this podcast, you can give your Osmos Farm Supply Agronomist a call. Thank you for listening to Agronomy for Farmer Success. If you'd like any additional information, please contact your trusted Osmus Farm Supply agronomist. Please make sure to subscribe to Agronomy for Farmer Success on your podcast player of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and more to be notified when new episodes become available.